Welcome to the Art of Greatness podcast. My name is June Allen from JuneAllen.net and I teach black women how to heal from addiction to self-hate with racial sobriety and personal empowerment. The information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes. It's based on my experiences and is shared in good faith. So always consult your licensed mental health professional before applying any of the suggestions from me in this podcast. The vision is to help you heal and build your blackalicious life. Now on with the show. Greetings, greetings family. Thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to another episode of the Art of Greatness podcast. Today's topic is all about what is racial sobriety? What is racial sobriety? Now, I wanted to address this specifically because I do talk a lot in my live streams and stuff like that about racial wellness. And I wanted to do this podcast because I wanted to talk about racial wellness within the specific context of recovery. So when we're talking about racial sobriety, um, I want to address it today specifically within the context of recovery. What does it mean in terms of your recovery process? What does it mean in terms of um, understanding racism as a disease and stuff like that? So um, yeah, so I'm really excited about, um, you know, really getting back into uh, doing these podcasts around my, my recovery and stuff like that. So today we are going to be talking about specifically um, the context of uh, racial sobriety in recovery. So um, before I kind of get into the meat of it, I think it's uh, I think it's important for me just to give you some sort of context for those of you that um, that are not familiar with um, with my work. Um, I wanted to talk about um, racial sobriety and how it actually happened and how, how I actually came up with the whole concept and everything around my own process. So I came into uh, recovery in 2009 on the back of a really dysfunctional relationship, um, very painful relationship. I crawled into the rooms and um, I was so relieved. I was so relieved to be in there and um, I got so much clarity um, for the first time in my life. I was able to experience empathy and to feel seen and heard. And I just knew in that moment, just after attending a few meetings, that, um, that it was the right place for me to be. And it's interesting because when I first, um, I don't even know how I even you know stumbled across the recovery meetings on the internet. I, was, I remember reading about some dysfunctional stuff about relationships on the internet and I was thinking you know my whole focus was how can I fix my partner how can I fix him how can I make him behave the way that I want him to behave um, and so my whole focus um, around the research was not about what I needed to, to deal with in myself but actually how can I fix this other person so anyway, I found some information and then um, there were some phone numbers and stuff on there. So I made a phone call and then the gentleman that um, that I spoke to said, you know, I think that, you know, this particular meeting that you're phoning up about might not work for you, depending on, you know, as a result of kind of what I shared with him. And he said, look, I think this other meeting is going to work better for you. It's going to work better for you. So I went along to this other meeting and wow, was he right? 
<coughs> excuse me, was he right? And um, yeah, within a couple of, of, of uh, experiences of going to the meetings, I knew straight away that actually it wasn't about me trying to fix this other person to try to make them behave a certain way, that it was about me dealing with my own stuff. It was about me dealing with my own pain and my own dysfunction and my own, you know, need to control um, other people because of my own experience, my own experience, early experiences of abuse and stuff like that. So I was so grateful. I was so grateful for those, you know, for that first room that I ended up sitting in. And, you know, after going to a couple of those meetings, I ended up going home and, you know, ending that relationship. And I just knew that I had to because, you know, he, my partner at the time was not interested in either going into recovery or doing any therapy or anything like that. So I knew that I had to, um, that I had to go it alone. And I was really scared. I was really, really scared. So anyway, I went through um, the 12 steps and uh, it was an amazing experience. It was a very painful experience, but I learned so much about what it means to be a human being. I learned a lot about the importance of understanding my own values, understanding my own needs. Um, I learned about what it means to, to have boundaries and set boundaries. I just, I just learned so much. I, learned, I just learned so much. I learned about the power of sharing, the power of um, speaking your truth, of understanding uh, what it means to share with other people and, and getting so much identification from other people that were going through similar things. So that was really powerful. And the first, I would say the first two or three years, you know, I, I seriously, I threw myself into my recovery and I was consistent. I showed up at the meetings every week. I shared, I did loads of service. I sponsored people, all of that kind of stuff. And it was really powerful. It was really powerful. But after I'd, you know, I'd been doing that for, you know, two or three years, I literally got smacked in the face, punched in the face with the pain of my, of my blackness. I hadn't really, not, not at all, actually. I hadn't addressed the whole cultural context of my recovery and it literally felt like I was being punched in the face and it just became so painful like I knew that I couldn't move forward with any more of my recovery work unless I dealt with this part of my recovery but at the time there wasn't really a lot of black people in recovery nobody was really talking about recovery in that context well no one was talking about it in that context so I was like where the hell do I even start where the hell do I even start around this stuff so um I just started reading, you know, reading a lot of books and um, there were other, the, the few black people that were in recovery, I just, you know, I had a couple of conversations with them and I just said, look, this is where I am in my recovery. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing, but I want to start talking about it within the context of, of recovery. You know, are you available for those conversations? Because I really want to, I, w I really want to start, you know, doing this work. Um, so I just want to, I just need to start building, <clears throat> I just want to start building a community of other black people that I can start having this conversation. Um, and I specifically chose to do it with other black people because obviously I wanted the context of, uh, people that had, uh, uh, that were descendants of, of slaves and, uh, yeah, I just wanted that, that cultural context in that, in that sense. Um, 
and it was really good. It was really good. And I was able to, again, start, start to learn a lot more about um, what it meant to be a black person in recovery. And it was, it was painful in the sense that, um, you know, I felt like I, it didn't feel safe to talk about it in meetings because, you know, um, recovery is predominantly white middle class. And um, so it didn't feel safe. It didn't feel safe to talk about it you know, in meetings and stuff like that, it was painful. So being able to find, a, a, you know, a, a few people to be able to start having these conversations with in private, in, in outreach calls and stuff like that was really, was really powerful. Um, so that was really good. Um, so yeah, you know, I just became obsessed with reading books and um, yeah, and, and just talking to other people about it. And then I started doing, you know, I decided that I wanted to start training as a psychotherapist. And then I started, uh, I started doing that training. And that just totally just blew my knowledge just out of the water around this stuff, because it just gave me an opportunity to dive even deeper into what I was thinking, what I was feeling. And it just gave me so much more context. The work that I was writing about you know, in, during my foundation year was based around race and it was just so powerful. It was really powerful. And um, yeah, I kind of really un began to understand that, uh, you know, not, not just the fact that I was living, um, that, I, that there was a lot of internalized racism in my family, um, but also the fact that we're still living under the system of racism in the current climate, in current society which means that, you know, the context of recovery is going to be very different. It's going to be very different for me as a black person, because a lot of the a lot of the context that I hear people talking about in the rooms is kind of about, um, oh, well, you know, I had a terrible childhood um, or this happened. You know, they talk about it in the, you know, the pain in the past. This I'm, obviously I'm generalizing it. You know, they talk they tend to talk a lot about what happened in the past and they come into recovery to sort out whatever's going on and then they kind of you know they might still come to meetings and stuff to to for maintenance um and to deal with any other current issues that come up in their relationships or whatever but generally you know people kind of crack on and get on with their lives but for me as a black person this was not my experience because not only was i having to deal with the context of what was going on you know what happened in in the past in terms of my the intergenerational trauma, you know, the 340 years that my ancestors in Jamaica were in slavery by the colonizers and whatever, um, I also had to find tools and ways of coping with the vulnerability of what it means to be black in today's climate, because we're still living under the system of racism. So recovery for me today, and when I first started exploring the whole concept of racial sobriety, is a completely different context to think about it. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited around the fact that, um, you know, racial sobriety has become something that is a daily practice. Um, and so I'm really excited to be able to, to, to be sharing all of this with you. And hopefully this is going to help those of you that are in recovery um, to be able to think about your recovery and your healing process in a much different way. So let's talk about the definition of uh, racial sobriety. What does that what does it actually mean? You know, what does it actually mean? So I've just written a few bullet points down. So I've put ultimately, you know, racial sobriety is the relationship with and acceptance of our cultural identity. OK, it's the ultimate um, relationship and acceptance of 
our cultural identity. It's about our willingness and ability to decolonize our thinking. Because that's a lot of times the pain and the struggle um, that a lot of us are in is not it's not just about what um, racism as an external system continues to do in terms of our oppression, but it's what we've internalized and what we continue to think about ourselves, what we continue to do to ourselves. Okay, so it's the willingness to think about, okay, the willingness to think about and our ability to decolonize our thinking, to think about what we've, what we've absorbed and how we, how we act all of that out, how we enable the system through our own thinking and behavior. Um, racial sobriety is about reclaiming our identity, reclaiming our culture and our community. You know, we know that the system robbed us or taught and continues to tell lies about who we are, continues to tell lies about our history, continue to tell, tell lies about who we are as, as, as black and brown people. And, you know, we have to be willing uh, as part of this process to be honest about the vulnerability of what it means to be black. You know, the vulnerability around the fact that a lot of us struggle with our relationships and our communities because, you know, a lot of us are still uh, dealing with the trauma, the historical trauma and the current trauma of what it means to to be black and brown under today's system of racism. And, you know, ultimately, you know, racial sobriety really is about giving ourselves permission to just reclaim who we are and, and to love who we are and to honour who we are and to respect ourselves um, as equal members of, of this human family. You know, at the end of the day, the black woman gave birth to civilization. You know, the black woman gave birth to everybody on this planet. So ultimately, you know, it, it is our right, whatever color you are, it is our right to uh, have permission to, to live on this planet without fear to live in our spaces without fear, to, to be able to occupy our bodies. It's my right as a black woman to be able to live in my black body without fear that something's gonna happen to it, that somebody's gonna do something, you know? So that is kind of like a, a quick uh, breakdown of what racial sobriety is. Now let's talk about the blocks to sobriety. Let's talk about the blocks to sobriety. So. You know, we have to understand um, that racism comes in many forms, okay? It comes in many forms. And, you know, we have to think about the social aspect of it, okay? We have to think about it from a social perspective. How are people that practice white supremacy, white people consciously or unconscious or consciously act it out? Because that's how society uh, teaches uh, society. We live in a we live in a racist society. We live under the system of racism, which means that um, whichever area of people activity that we're talking about. Okay, so I'm talking about Neely Fuller's work now. Neely Fuller is a is a um, a scholar in the U.S. who coined the term around racism um, being a system, and it's impacted by nine areas of people activity: economics, education, entertainment labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and relationships, and war, okay? So the way that the system is set up, that those areas of people activity are dominated by the white lays, by the white gaze, okay? So um, it's always from the context of, of whiteness. 
Okay, so we have to understand that there are going to be people, white people, that act this out consciously and unconsciously, okay, through the media, through institutions or whatever. So with the, living under the system of racism also means that one of our blocks is, is, you know, how this has played itself out in our communities. How have we, um, how do we recycle all of this stuff? How, how do we respond to it? Because obviously living under this system 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, means that there is going to be an impact on how we relate to each other, how we relate to our families, how we raise our children, how we behave within the context of our, of our community groups, um, and how this has impacted, um, you know, what's been passed down through our ancestors, from our ancestors intergenerationally. Okay, whether we're talking about chattel slavery or whether we're talking about family systems and all of that kind of stuff, it's all going to block our ability to stand in that definition of racial, racial sobriety. Okay, it's going to be difficult for us to stand in, that, stand in the power of our culture, to stand in the power of who we are as black and brown people. It's going to be, it's going to be difficult, you know, when you've got all this going on. And the last thing that I would say about blocks to, 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 uh, to racial sobriety is, is the internal stuff, which is ultimately the core place where we need to start, okay? So uh, the internal blocks around racial sobriety is, is how we feel about ourselves. How do we talk to ourselves? How do we, how do we treat ourselves? How, what, what, what are the triggers? How, will we, how do we absorb what's gone on? And what do we believe about ourselves? What are the lies that we believe about ourselves? Okay, so ultimately, one of the reasons why recovery is so powerful is because it teaches us how to take responsibility for our lives. Okay, it's important to understand racism as a context. It's important to understand racism as a system. But ultimately, we have to take responsibility for how we show up inside that system and the impact that it's had on our lives. Okay, so this is the this is now I'm going to talk about the third section, which is which is sobriety. How do we actually get racial sobriety, and what what do we need to do? How do we maintain it? Okay, how can we maintain it under the under the current climate? What does it actually look like? So you know, I've I've kind of um, in my own process and, and and the work that I do, I've realised that there are three components, three important components. Uh, that we need to do to maintain our racial sobriety and to stay committed, okay? So it's maintained through our commitment to our emotional, spiritual and cultural journey of discovery and self-knowledge, okay? Sobriety is maintained through our daily commitment to the emotional, spiritual, physical and cultural journey of discovery and self-knowledge, okay? So there are three things for you to think about, to take into consideration around your recovery when you're thinking about maintaining your racial sobriety. The first one is that you have to understand racism as a system. Okay, we know that this is the, the core block, but you have to understand racism as a system. So whether you're talking about the nine areas of people activity that I spoke about before with Neely Fuller's work, but when we're talking about it in the context of recovery, okay, now if you're talking about AA or any other substance, they talk about uh, uh, what should we call it, addiction as a disease, okay, they talk about uh, 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 recovery, sorry, not recovery, they talk about um, addiction as a disease, okay, now I believe that racism is an addiction to power, 
okay? I believe that racism is an addiction to power, okay? It's something that is, is compulsive. And if you think about, the, you know, the definition of addiction, you know, doing something over and over again, even though it, it hurts yourself or others, and you just can't stop doing it, it's the same, it's the same context, whether it's conscious or unconscious it's, or unconscious, it's the same context. Racism is an addiction to power. So for those people that, that are practicing it, white people that are practicing it, conscious or unconscious, conscious, it's an addiction to power. Now, for us as black and brown people, we become co-addicts because we become, uh, we, we become codependent. Okay, we become codependent as a result of trying to survive under the system. So we abandon ourselves, we abandon our culture, we abandon our identity, we lose our sense of self because the pain of living under the system means that the only way that we survive under the system is that we deny ourselves. Racism demands that we abandon ourselves. That's how, that's how racism ends up, we end up enabling the system. We end up enabling the addiction Okay, because we abandon ourselves, we abandon ourselves in order to, as, as a survival uh, mechanism. So, the first component of racial sobriety is to uh, understand racism as an addiction, to explore the psychology of racism. Um, and I've given you, you know, a, a book, Neely Fuller's book. Um, if you go to producejustice.com, you can buy his book there, which talks about the, the racism as a system. If you want to talk more about, um, explore more about the psychology of racism, uh, then you need to look at Dr. Frances Cress Welsing's work. Her book is called The ISIS Papers. Obviously, these are not conference approved books or whatever for, for um, in terms of recovery. Um, but these are just ideas for you to look at and obviously take what you like and leave the rest. There are things in both books that I don't agree with what, everything that they say in the books, but it's going to give you some context and there's a lot that you can learn from reading about the psychology of racism. And they're both written by, um, by black scholars as well. So they're talking, uh, one of them, actually uh, Dr. Walton's work, she, she, is a, uh, she was a psychiatrist, she's not with us anymore, bless her. But she was a psychiatrist and she wrote a lot about the psychology of racism and, you know, how it how it actually, you know, why racism is here. Um, Neely Fuller's work is about what, the what of racism and Dr. Wilson's work is the why. OK, so you have to understand racism as, as an addiction. Sorry, you have to understand racism as a, as a system, just as you, you need to understand addiction as a disease. OK, you understand that it's a disease. You also have to understand uh, how racism operates. Okay, you have to understand it. So that's number one. The second important component of maintaining your racial sobriety is understanding its impact on your life. Now, when we're talking about it in the context of addiction and recovery, you have to really look at how, you know, how you actually feel inside your body and how, you know, the vulnerability around that, how has that impacted your acting out or acting in? What, you know, if you look at your bottom lines around whatever fellowship you're in, what, what bottom lines or what, are your, what, what acting out patterns or acting in patterns do you have that are related to being a black person or being, being a, a person of colour? OK, how is that? How does that play out? How does that play out? You know, it's important that you are clear about what your racial triggers are. If you think about the nine areas of people activity that I spoke about before, what are those areas that, that trigger, you know, that, that, that trigger you feeling vulnerable? 
about not being, you know, about being a, a, a black or brown person. And also, you know, it's important to think about the rooms, you know, think about, um, you know, your home group. Is your home group diverse? Do you feel safe? Do you feel safe talking about um, racism in your shares? Do you do you feel safe talking about, um, uh, you know, talking about uh, your your racial racial experience and stuff like that in your in your step work and all of that kind of stuff? Do your bottom lines reflect? Do your bottom lines reflect uh, any sort of racial context as well? You know, if you really want to do this racial sobriety work, there's no getting away from the fact that you have to explore this, how this has impacted your addiction and how does it play a part in your, in your addictive patterns. You have to be willing to look at that. And I know a lot of places don't do that. When you talk about recovery and all of that, you know, nobody's really talking about that. Nobody's really talking about that context. And because we're still living under the system of racism, you know, it, it, it's, it's difficult for us. It's going to be difficult to maintain. So let's say for an example, you know, you're acting out pattern is food or whatever. If you're not conscious of how racism impacts that, then there's going to be more of a chance that maybe you're going to relapse or that you're going to, because you don't understand how that vulnerable part of who you are is getting triggered. You know, so you have to understand your triggers within the context also of racism and who you are as a black and brown person in order for you to include that in your recovery process. Okay, so that's the third thing. The third thing is there must be a cultural context to your recovery process, okay? So when, you, when you're doing all your answers and stuff around your step work, you have to, you have to um, include your, your, uh, your uh, experience around racism in your step work, in your questions. Okay, look at your outreach circle. Are there people in your outreach that you feel, they feel, you feel comfortable talking to about your, your experience? You know, a lot of times, and this happened to me in recovery, and it was so painful. Like, I had conversations, I would have conversations with, with white people about certain things. You know, the, the relationship was set up that, and this wasn't a conscious thing, obviously. It was okay for me to have conversations without them, without them, uh, with them about stuff, as long as I didn't talk about being black. As long as I didn't talk about my, my experience around racism, because they just didn't have the tools, they didn't have the... They didn't have the psychological capacity to be able to have that conversation because white people you know obviously I'm generalizing but in general white people are not doing this work they're not doing this work so it becomes unsafe to have those conversations you know I've had people come up to me you know what um so I've had other, other black people come up to me and say that when they shared in 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 uh, in the recovery rooms about their experiences around racism and stuff like that you know, they've had white people say to them that, you know, that they shouldn't really be talking about it. I mean, it's insane. You know, number one, they've crossed the boundary. They shouldn't be, shouldn't be talking, talking to them after the meeting anyway to say that stuff. And number two, it's none of, their, it's none of these, these people's business about police, trying to police what, what black and brown people share about in meetings. You know, if you're struggling around, you know, finding a safe space or understanding racism in the rooms or what to do about racism in the rooms if you go to the blacksteps.com okay or if you click the link in the show notes it will take you to a page that will show you where you can go to find uh, some information about how to deal with racism in the rooms okay um because it's a real it's a real it's, it's a real thing it's a real thing and and you know as black and brown people in the rooms we have to have 
we have to have the courage to start having these conversations because this is this is an important part of our of our um, sobriety of our healing and if we're not willing to have these conversations then it's going to leak out in other areas of your of your recovery process it is it's going to leak out so it's important that, that you know you are willing to look at this stuff and be be honest and willing to to be open to have these conversations you know be honest about your sponsor is your, if, whether your, if your sponsor's black or white, can you have those conversations? Because it's not every black person or every person of colour that wants to do this work. But you have to have an honest conversation with them and say, look, this is what's going on for me at the moment and I need to process this. Are you available to have this conversation? And if that person is not available or not doing this work or whatever, then you find somebody that is. Find somebody that is. Okay. The other thing, the last thing that I would say about this whole thing about the cultural context in your recovery process is to make sure that you uh, include cultural top lines in your recovery process. OK, now, um, obviously, if you're in recovery, then you understand the context of bottom lines. That's refraining from behaviours that are harmful to you and whatever. Cultural top lines are the opposite of bottom lines in the sense that you choose to, to take on certain behaviours that not only nourish you as a human being, but obviously nourish you as well from a cultural perspective. So an example of a, of, um, a cultural top line might be uh, that you learn to speak your native language or that, um, you know, that you might decide to uh, learn to cook a meal that's from your particular culture. Um, it might be that you choose to adorn yourself with jewellery, clothing, um, hairstyles or whatever that is appropriate to your culture. So you're reclaiming elements of your culture. You, you know, it might be, another example might be that you reclaim um, African spirituality. You choose to practice African spirituality. Okay. These are things that are important. Again, if you click the link in the, in the show notes, in the description, um, it will take you to um, a page uh, and it will show you where you can go and get more information around um, you know, about, about recovery, uh, about racial sobriety and recovery um, within the, the racial context. This stuff is so important, but you know what is so powerful? It's so powerful when you start doing this stuff. It's so powerful when you start taking action around your, your you know, cultural top lines and when you start having more conversations with other black people in recovery or other people of colour in recovery. You know, start getting telephone numbers from people in your home group or people that you see generally around that are willing to have these conversations. So freaking powerful, so important and just freeing, really freeing. Um, and you can start to really start setting some boundaries as well around um, you know, when you start really being honest about this stuff, then you can start being honest about your needs and then you can start deciding, you know, what feels safe and what doesn't feel safe and start setting those boundaries. OK, so that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for joining me. If there's anything at all uh, that you want to have a conversation with me about, anything that uh, that you want more clarification or you want to just share what you felt, then please, you can either uh, drop a note in the um in the comments, you can leave it, leave a review, uh, whichever podcast platform that you are listening on, or you can send me an email at info at yardofgreatness.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, and hopefully I will speak to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Enjoy the rest of your day, however you choose to spend it. Take care.
This podcast is sponsored by the Yard of Greatness Living in Love program, an online healing support group and mentorship program for black women who are ready to dive deep, explore and manifest all aspects of love, self-love, relationship love, divine love, love for your culture, love for your inner child and so much more. These are just a few of the topics we'll be discussing throughout 2020 using Bell Hook's amazing book, All About Love, to anchor the topic of conversation. If you are truly ready to do the internal work, to increase your confidence, have more self-awareness, reduce isolation within our supportive community, and build stronger boundaries, If you're truly ready to build a deeper, amazing connection with yourself and others, then join the Living in Love program. All of this Blackalicious lovage will be delivered to you via live Sister Circle support sessions, heartwork journal prompts, a video vault, and amazing private community. Join the Living in Love program today. Go to love.juneallen.net. That's love. .juneallen.net That's love.juneallen.net I'll see you on the other side. Bye!